there's a column for that A1, A2, B5, B6, A, B9. Ooh, ooh, ooh. We know those are cells. Hello, welcome to our 17th episode of There's a Column for That. I'm your host, author, storyteller, and podcaster, Jamie Beth Cohen. Today I'm talking to Courtney LeBlanc, international woman of mystery. Just kidding. Sort of. Courtney is a poet who founded an independent feminist poetry press during COVID-19, but her day job is working for the U.S. federal government, interfacing with foreign militaries to buy those entities the things they need, legally. I legit had no idea something like this existed, though maybe I should have. This is sort of like the time I had knock on the show because I knew she was a comedian who used spreadsheets to plan her stand-up and then found out while we were doing our interview that she actually worked in CRMs. And that's one of my favorite things about this podcast and about life. People fascinate me because people are fascinating and multifaceted. And sometimes they're subversive poets, but totally legitimate arms dealers. My chat with Courtney was recorded on Thursday, April 1st, and we're releasing it on April 15th. Please remember to wear your mask. Black lives still matter. Joe Biden is the rightfully elected president of the United States. And remember, spreadsheets save lives. Please follow us on Twitter at column underscore pod. And please be in touch. Hi, Courtney. Thanks so much for being here today. Welcome to There's a Column for That. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Oh, me too. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Where you're from, where you live now, how you identify, what line of work you're in? Do you have hobbies or passions that take up a lot of your brain space related to or unrelated to spreadsheets? And if you want how we met or came across each other. Yes, all of that. Uh, I'm Courtney. So I was born and raised in North Dakota on a farm. So I'm a true farm girl. I, I know I left at 20 to move to the East Coast for college. And I've lived in, um, I went to school in Baltimore. And now I live in Arlington, Virginia, just outside the capital. Um, by day, I am a senior program manager in international acquisitions for the federal government. Very spreadsheet related. We'll get to that. And, uh, and then I am a writer. I'm a poet. And I am the founder and editor-in-chief of an independent poetry press called Riot in Your Throat, which I also use a lot of spreadsheets for. Um, we met when you did a workshop with Community Building Artworks for Seema Reza. Um, that's where we first met. And then we've become, you know, social media writer friends. And uh, other than that, I have two dogs and I hike daily with them. They are, they almost outweigh me. They weigh 50 pounds each. So they're a combined weight of hundred pounds. I have one of them right here with me. This is Cricket. She is a pit mix. We think pit and lab maybe. And then my other dog Piper is a boxer hound mix. So they're they're good girls, but they're a lot of energy. I can imagine. I Now I understand why you have to hike every day. <laughs> for them and for you, maybe. 
Yes, but it's for our mental health as well as physical. Yes, great. All right, well, how do you interact with spreadsheets in your work and or your life? Uh, so in my day job, so I do international acquisitions, which uh, most people don't know what that is. So I'll tell you quickly. It means that foreign militaries give me money to buy them the things they need to buy. And I do that using the US um, government acquisition system. So I buy everything from small boats to large ships to weapons and training and all sorts of things. So I use spreadsheets to track purchases and uh, track contracts. If I have teams going in country, I use spreadsheets to track where they're going, when they're going, the costs of their trips. Um, my own costs pre-pandemic, I traveled 50% of the time. So I was gone a lot, you know, so doing a spreadsheet for every trip. <laughs> and the projects range from anywhere from, you know, one to two million upwards of generally 20 to 30 million is the top end for what I do. I have so many follow-up questions. I'm going to start <laughs> with, how did the dogs fare when you were traveling 50% of the time? Uh, well, I didn't have either of these dogs. Um, my last dog was a beagle and she was, she, I had her for 15 years. So she had a very, very good life. But uh, my husband took, took care of her while I was gone. And Piper, I adopted, time is weird. So let me, <laughs> summer of 19 and was doing a work program that didn't have me traveling as much. And then we hit the pandemic and we adopted a second dog. And so I don't think they have any idea what to expect. Like I'm, I'm home 24 seven. So it will be a shock when I start going back to work. Wow. Okay. That's a lot. Uh, second <laughs> follow-up question. Let me start with how did you get into the line of work that you're in, which is a job that like, I consider myself like a fairly curious and fairly worldly person. And like, I had no idea what you did or why or how, or that it existed. So like, how did you learn that it existed? Like a lot of people, I kind of fell into it after college. Um, I started working for a company that supported the government and I was just doing sort of project management help, you know, just very generic help, but they had one of their contracts was doing this international acquisitions stuff. And I was interested in that because, you know, international sounds fun. Um, and so I got into it pretty young. I think I started doing it at like 25 and then just ended up really liking it and sort of specialized in it without even meaning to. Okay. And then I think this is my last follow-up question, although I could go on and on. Foreign governments give you their money. Yes. Can you explain? Like, that's how I think you phrased it. So like, what does that look like in reality? In reality, we have a government to government contract for lack of a better word. And they request something and we agree to purchase it via this contract. And so it specifies what they want, the time frame, the cost approximately. Um, and then we go, they send us the money via the government uh, financial system, and then it eventually gets into the accounts I can manage. And then I take that money and go spend it for them. Okay. La seriously, last follow-up question. <laughs> Have you watched Homeland? 
I have not. I actually don't watch. Is that a TV show? It is. Okay. So I don't watch any television. I'm very strange. And I generally only watch movies on planes. So, which used to be a reasonable amount of time, but now I, so I haven't, I haven't seen it, but I'll have to check it out. It sounds like. Well, it's Claire Danes working for the CIA, traveling a lot under undercover assets, but like arms dealing and, and she's bipolar so there's an element of like you're not sure what's real and what isn't sometimes with her experience and her memory gotcha well mine is all on the up and up I can say that um (laughs) (laughs) that's what you would say (laughs) (laughs) touche touche awesome and then I know you have a whole other life in which you use spreadsheets which I am very interested in and I think you have some exciting news around that I do. So um, I'm a poet. And um, at the end of 2020, um, after doing a lot of research and a lot of thinking, I decided I was going to start an independent poetry press. So uh, it's called Riot in Your Throat, and it officially launched in January of 21. And I'm publishing four books of poetry this year under the press, which is probably a lot for the first year, but I just... I loved the manuscripts that I got and I thought it was a reasonable number and I'm very type A, uh, which is where the spreadsheets really come in. And I'm super excited about that. One of the books I'm publishing is my second collection. Um, I I didn't know if I was going to publish it under my press because it was a finalist for the Pink Big Book Award. Then when I didn't get that, which is totally cool, I was like, all right, well, now I'm freed up. I can just publish it under my press. So I'm really excited. That's available now for pre-order and it comes out in July. The first one, Green by Melissa Fight Johnson, actually comes out May 1st, so a month from today. Um, I actually just ordered the copies of her book from the printer and I'm so excited. Where the Water Begins by Kimberly Casey comes out in September and Borrowing Your Body by Laura Passon comes out in November. So a really big year, and I'm really excited. All of these women's books are amazing, and of the last two, it's their first book, so like that's super exciting as well because there's just something magical about your first book and bringing it into the world. You know that. It's your book baby, you know, so it's, it's really great to be a part of that for other people. That is super exciting. All right. So what's the biggest or your favorite problem program or project that you've tackled with a spreadsheet? I use, I use Excel almost actually, I only use Excel and I use it for, to track my poetry submissions. And my Excel file goes back to 2015 or 2013. I can't remember. And the only reason it only goes back that far is because my first file got corrupted and I couldn't save. Yeah, it just happens. Um, But the new, the one I currently have is very old. It's also over a thousand lines long, rows long, and it's just a running tally. It has the first column is the poems for each submission because, you know, some require one poem, some want seven poems, and then it's the journal or press they're submitted to their website, how I submitted, whether it's submittable or via email or whatever the date. And then the last column is, you know, rejection or acceptance. Um, and then from there, like I highlight the ones that got accepted. I gray out the, the blocks that didn't get accepted. 
Um, but it is a massive spreadsheet. I have it backed up in several places, both on the cloud and on a hard drive, external hard drive, because if it ever dies, I'm screwed because I don't remember where I sent anything. You know, my brain is not big enough to capture that and remember it. So it's a spreadsheet I live and die by in terms of poetry submissions. I, I have something similar for essays and, and a little bit for some, you know, flash fiction, sort of, you know, anything other than my novels that I write. So anything that I might be sending out. And it's interesting what you said about which poems, because for me, each essay has its own row and it has as many rows as it needs as I'm getting rejected or as I'm brainstorming places I might send it. But for you, you might be sending like poem A, B, and C to one journal and poem C, D, B, and Q to another, right? So like- Exactly. That sounds, that makes my heart like sort of shake a little bit to think like, cause I can always sort by the essay title. Or, mm -hmm. I mean, it's never, the, it's never the headline that ends up being the headline, right. but, but sort of what I like, I'll call it the Passover one, or I'll, like I just had mm -hmm. published, or I'll call it the sex and quarantine one. And so are you able to, to sort of say where are all the places I've sent poem A? Um, yes, but I generally just use like the control F, <laughs> control, right. you know, like okay. the fine function. So you can't sort it to give me all of no. poem A. No, because for me, that's not super helpful because it doesn't really matter if I have one poem at out at two journals or out at 200 journals because most places accept, particularly for poetry, you know, they might accept one poem or maybe, you know, maybe two poems of the five I've submitted. Right. So it doesn't really matter how many places those are out at. I do sometimes look and see like, what's my oldest active um, submission <laughs> on a poem, you know? Yep. And yep. those are always sort of terrifying and heartbreaking <laughs> to see, but. Yeah, that's an amazing artifact and something that, you know, the poets and the writers who came before us who were not using computers to track these things, like, I, I think our spreadsheets are gonna be really interesting artifacts once the people of our generation have these full careers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting to see, you know, if you look back and see like where was a particular piece published and, you know, one, would you, would you want that published now? Cause I know like you, I look back on some of the old stuff and I'm like, ugh. I've come a long way, <laughs> but also just, you know, journals and presses evolve too. And so, you know, they might reread it and think, oh, why did we ever publish that? <laughs> so it's, it is interesting to look back on it. And it's like a snapshot in time. I was listening to the woman whose essay about emotional labor went viral. She then got approached by agents, wrote a book proposal, got a book published. And she said, you know what? I still pitch essays and crickets. People don't even yeah. respond to me. And I sort of thought once I had in my, you know, signature line, author of, that people would at least write back. And, and sometimes they don't. So my spreadsheet actually, it acknowledges whether somebody actually passed or whether I just never heard from them. Because I think that's a really important thing to know if I'm going back to that same editor 
should I expect to hear from them one way or another, or should I expect to just let it go? I mean, because poetry is a little bit different than pitching like an essay, we don't like they wouldn't. Well, generally, in theory, they don't ever not respond. But sometimes that happens. But what I do track is if they say, you know, these weren't quite the right fit, but we liked your voice, please submit again. I make a note of that. And women are notorious about did they actually mean that? Should I actually submit? And, you know, my my advice to them is, yes, they meant it, because I as an editor, when I say that, I mean it. I want to see the next version of this. Right. Um, and in, in January, when I had opened submissions, I received 88 manuscripts, which I was really pleased with for a first time. New press, like I had no idea what to expect. So I was really excited about 88. And um, there were some that like I loved, but they weren't, they weren't quite there. And so I would tell them in my response, this came really close to making the long list, but it's not quite there yet. I would love to see an updated version if you're still looking you know for a home when i'm open next this was really close and i don't say that unless i mean it and i i think that most editors i hope that most editors are the same you know right right for me it was so interesting going from querying a novel to pitching essays because querying a novel agents are pretty clear they either say you will hear back from me one way or another within 6 months if not nudge me and some agents say, if you don't hear back from me, it's a no, sorry, I can't respond to everyone. So then I go into the essay world and my friends are like, oh no, two weeks and you follow up. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? And they were like, <laughs> two weeks and you follow up. And I was like, oh, that's so weird. And then like you said with poetry, like if you're working on like a submittable form or something, you're always gonna hear something back. I have a friend that I'm working with right now who's a script and TV writer. And he's like, yeah, I'm a writer, but I know nothing about your world. And I was like, I barely know anything about my world because each little segment is different. That's yeah. why spreadsheets are so important. They, I don't know how, like someone told me that they didn't write, write their submissions down. They just remembered. And even if I only had one poem I was sending out, I would not, my just, maybe that makes, makes me not a smart person, but I just feel like there's so much other stuff that's in my brain. I cannot remember that. Why, where else would you write them down? What, like on a piece of paper in a, in a word document? No, you, that's not sortable. You, you need to be able to find. Yeah. So I've always said that I'm really good at spreadsheets because I cannot hold numbers or data in my head. I have a great memory for what happened in sixth grade. What happened in seventh grade? <laughs> what year I was when such and such happened? But as far as like numbers and, and dates and data, so I had to get good at spreadsheets because I needed somewhere to put that information that my brain couldn't parse or hold on to. We're, we're very smart. We figured out what we need a spreadsheet for <laughs> and how to use it. I just, I don't even know why you would bother with trying to remember it. I agree. Well, and so that gets into our next question, which is what are the limits of spreadsheets or what kind of problems can they not solve or what projects are they not good for? You know, they don't seem to give me any money. Um, that's really a problem. Like <laughs> whatever my budget set is in the spreadsheet, whether it's for work or for personal, like that exists. And I can't seem to override that. Um, I don't, maybe I don't, I don't think I use them in a sophisticated enough way to know that what the limitations are. 
Um, I've seen people, I have a colleague who is a spreadsheet whiz. She, the spreadsheets she creates are slightly terrifying um, because they are so, there's so much data in them. I almost have to say, can you dumb this down for me a little bit? Because you're giving me too much information. Mm-hmm. I delegate for a reason. Like I have a team for a reason. I, I don't need that level of data. Um, I'm glad you have that data. And I'm glad that yes. spreadsheet makes sense to you. Now tell me one, two, three, four, what I need to know. Yes, I am very much. Um, I have a team I work with and I've worked with them now for, um, I've been in my current position for seven years. So I've probably worked with the same team for the last five. And we got really good with, they knew what to tell me and what they could just go and handle themselves. Um, and it's the same with spreadsheets. I it, Too much data is not going to help me. My, my husband is a scientist so and a math whiz. So his brain works very differently from mine. We just refinanced our house and the financial mortgage person sent a spreadsheet that basically we could determine how many points we wanted to buy and it would calculate the, you know, 20 year difference. And as we're walking through it, he's like playing with it. And I can just see like the little stars of happiness in his face. And I was like, can can you just tell me the bottom line here? Because I don't have any idea what the hell you're talking about. Like (laughs) my brain just doesn't care. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I don't have any real limitations because I don't, I feel like my usage while I rely on it heavily is relatively basic. Like the sum function is my favorite function because that's often what I need to do is total stuff up to make sure I'm within budget on a project for work or to find out how much I'm spending for the press that hasn't, you know, come back yet in profits because it's an independent press. Let's be honest, there's not going to be a whole lot of profits. Um, you know, I don't do anything really fancy with with the work I do. I just don't. I don't need it, thankfully, thankfully. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people think that spreadsheets are too complicated for them. And I'm always surprised by that because it's like, well, you can make a spreadsheet do whatever you need it to do. It doesn't have to be complicated if you don't want it to be complicated. It's a tool for you to use for what you need it for. It's literally a calculator. I mean, half of what I'm doing literally is just subtraction and addition on in a spreadsheet form, you know, but when I have 800 purchases under one project, I'm only going to track that in a spreadsheet, you know, because it's not just the the item and the cost. I'm also tracking like when it was delivered and where it came from and the contract number and all those things, you know, so the spreadsheet makes sense, but it's, it's relatively simple in the grand scheme of things. I'm really not doing rocket science over here. (laughs) You are an arms dealer though. (laughs) A good one, though. <laughs> An arms dealer for good. Um, what about the silliest thing you've ever used a spreadsheet for? Um, God, I don't even know. I know there were some memes a while back um, that used Excel. When you like type something in, it did something. I didn't know how to do it, though, but I was completely amused by them because like my ability to do programming is pretty much zero. So anybody who can make something funny like that, I just, I think it's, I, I'm very entertained by it, I guess. We, I, there is someone who has t- contacted me about being on the podcast who actually made 
I think a horse racing game in Excel so that you can actually see the horses running around a circle. And I, he sent it to me and I was like, is that Excel? Like, this doesn't look familiar to me. <laughs> I don't, really? Yeah. So yeah, I'm not a programmer either. Like my, you know, I can sometimes string a query together in our CRM at work to get what I need out of it, but not always, not always. Yeah, I would need step-by-step -step instructions and I'm pretty sure I'd mess them up anyway. <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit more about the independent press? You said, you know, oh, profits, if we're going to get them. So like, what drives someone to want to create an independent press? And if, if you want to talk about this, how you sort of, what you see their role is in relation to the big five or the big four or whatever that is going to be. Yeah, so my reason for doing it, it, there were a couple of reasons. I mean, one, there was a pandemic and my day job changed dramatically. You know, I was no longer traveling 50% of the time, working crazy hours. I was home all the time, which was good, but it also meant my downtime was much greater. And because there was a pandemic, it's not like I was hanging out with friends. Like we had one bubble couple. And, and that was it. We, my husband's a scientist. He's actually a biologist who has a specialization in um, virology. So like that, the pandemic is really his wheelhouse. Um, but so as a result, we took it very seriously. And so we weren't going anywhere. We weren't doing anything other than my daily hikes with my dogs. So I had extra time on my hands. Um, and poetry is really my passion. If I could make a living from it, I 100% would but i live in a very expensive area of the country and i like the lifestyle that i have with my current career um so i kind of wanted to see what i could do to contribute in a different way um and there were voices that i really think are important to be out there um my sort of tagline for the press is publishing fierce feminist poetry that's the kind of poetry i'm really drawn to um, and I really want to see out in the world and I think is really important to be out in the world. And so I decided, you know, maybe I could start a press and I started talking to some people. Um, I have some friends, thankfully, in the industry who have, um, you know, either like I'm friends with some of the people at Barrel House. They've been publishing for over a decade. And then I have I'm friends with the people who, who are behind OK Donkey and they just started publishing books um, in 2019, I believe. Um, so started talking to them about how to do this. How do you go about it? You know, like I didn't know anything like who does your printing? What about your cover design? What about interior book design? Like things I know nothing about. And the more I thought about it, the more I just really, really wanted to do it. Um, you know, because the reality of it is for poetry, very few poets are going to end up with like the, you know, what would we consider the big five for poetry and publishing? You know, it's most people publish with small independent presses and small is kind of a general term, but most, most poetry presses are considered small. Um, but I found that most of my favorite poetry was coming out of small independent presses. And I wanted to do that. I, and I wanted to give people sort of a different experience. My first book um, is with an independent press um, called Vegetarian Alcoholic Press. And they were wonderful to work with, um, but they didn't have a lot of support 
on the PR and marketing side because they're essentially a one-man shop, just like I'm a one-woman shop. And that's fine, but I also wanted to provide a little bit more of that if I could. Um, and so that was kind of my decision with choosing to publish four books this year. I felt it was manageable in terms of supporting the poets and in terms of the finances, because you know how much you have to, the reality of it is this is expensive. I mean, I had to pay a graphic designer or I mean a web designer because I don't know. I mean, I designed my own like writer poetry website and it's fine, like it's decent but I don't have an entire shop for books and merchandise and contact. And, you know, and I could have probably done it myself, but I would have torn my hair out and had to watch a lot of YouTube videos. And I just decided that that was an expense I was willing to pay. And as a result, I have a really great professional website. And if there's ever a glitch, I literally call the designer up. She's a lovely woman up in Canada with a beautiful French accent who helps me fix the glitch I'm having. Um, and, but, you know, I just, I wanted to be a part of it and uh, to bring poetry into the world that I really love and that, you know, I think that others should read and have in their hands. So, so while everyone are. else was starting podcasts about maybe spreadsheets, you were starting a press. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I respect that. Um, awesome. Well, we're going to do some rapid fire questions. So I think you already okay. answered a couple of them. Typically, I ask Excel, Google Sheets, something else, sub-question, Mac, PC, tablet, phone. Excel, predominantly, occasionally Google Docs, if several of us are coordinating. Um, my laptop is Windows-based, so PC, and generally not on my phone, um, but occasionally. Got Favorite command or function in Excel? Uh, other than uh, control save or control S for save <laughs> is probably control F for find. Um, awesome. I also yep. love that one. <laughs> yep. Uh, how do you feel about color coding cells or typeface? Uh, I'm okay with color coding. I do a little bit of color coding in mine. Acceptances get a light orange. Uh, rejections get a gray box. They're grayed out. Um, font? No, it's just got to be the basic, whatever the normal, like a normal basic Garamond or or Times New Roman, something easy on the eyes. None of that cursive crap. No, <laughs> not in Excel. No, no Comic Sans in your Excel. No, no, dear God, no. <laughs> what is one thing you? What's one thing about spreadsheets that you think other people might not know? Um, I think that they're really simple to use. Honestly, um, it, I mean, if you want to do something super technical, you'd probably have to learn it. But for your basic day-to-day -day operations. I mean, I have one that I track investments on and it's pretty basic and I'm not a financial person or a math person even. So they're, they're much easier than I think people realize. I agree. Do you have feelings about CRMs? Do you know what CRMs are? I don't know what they are. So it stands for customer relationship management. So you might not be in an industry that uses that. No, we don't use, I mean, I work for the federal government, so we definitely don't use those. <laughs> not, not in the thing I do, at least. The federal government websites I've been on have been really horrible. I, I hope that's not how your work life goes. Uh, for them, we do have one system that is 
and I'm not joking, it is one step above MS-DOS. Like it is that antiquated and, and everybody knows that the problem is it feeds into all these other systems. And so they know that when they update it, it's going to be a massive effort. And it's super, it's, it's, it's literally the first time I used it, I was, I thought I'd been transported back to the 1980s because it was so analog looking and we're still using it today and it's 2021. <laughs> so I was the CVIS rep at one of my schools. Do you know what CVIS is? It has mm -mm. to do with getting student visas to, to people uh. who come. And um, the, so first of all, that website was a nightmare. And I would always just end up calling the help desk because the people were actually fabulous, but trying to do what I was doing on the website was technically doable, but not really. And then the other problem was, um, creating the password for those websites and you oh my god them every nine days and they have also one day I had uh one of the the college counselors came to my office and was like can you look something up about this particular student who was an international student in the SEVA system and I was like oh yeah and I log on and it's like you can't log on you have to change your password and I turned to her and I said you might want to come back tomorrow and she's like you're kidding me and I said, no, to reset the password, I have to come up with this thing and it can't have this and it can't have this, but it has to have this. And things like the same two letters cannot appear next to each other. And the, no letter that appeared next to each other in your last password can appear in this password. And I was like, seriously, you need to leave me alone for at least an hour to come up with something. And the result is we all ended up writing them on stickies and putting them in our desk drawers, which makes it less safe. I have an Excel spreadsheet that is passwords. <laughs> I will also tell you my trick for passwords because many of my systems, I have to change them very, very uh, frequently is the date. So it'll be like, April's not good because April's a short month, but saying like, you know, 23 February, 2021 exclamation point. Oh. And using the date, I changed the password because you almost never repeat. Right. Super smart. <laughs> yeah, I have a password system. I should say, I also have an Excel spreadsheet with passwords, <laughs> but they're written in code. So not only do you have to be able to get into the spreadsheet, which is mm -hmm. password protected, password protected. Mm -hmm. but once you get there, you have to understand the code to be able to figure out the password. So um, four years ago, no, 2021, 2015, my husband and I left our kids with a babysitter overnight to drive to New England in the winter for a job interview that no one was supposed to know about. Oh my God. And we're in the car, and we're driving, so our kids, they were pretty young at the time, but they didn't know we were going out of state for a job interview because we didn't want to freak them out. The babysitter mm -hmm. knew where we were and where we were going, but like, normally I'm posting on Facebook, like I'll be in Massachusetts for the day. So like nobody knew where we were going. No one knew why we were going. And I called my best friend and I was like, hey, here's the password to my password spreadsheet and you need to write down these codes. And if, if Sam and I Just die on this car trip, you're going to need to get into my passwords. And she was like, thank you. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no problem. <laughs> you know, we just, uh, just uh, last fall did wills 
and we did wills and we have trusts and we have, we, we did the whole shebang because I was, we had a friend die very suddenly last year at 37. And I was like, we got to take care of this. And uh, so we, we have, and in, uh, we also gave each other passwords to all our accounts, you know, like here's the password to my bank account. Here's the password to my retirement account. Yes, you'll, the money goes to you, but like you may need to get in quickly to at least know how much is in there versus waiting because yep. I don't that process is exhausting and difficult and there's so. a book called get your shit together do you know about this book no so g-y-s-t and a woman whose husband was in a traumatic accident he survived but he was in a coma in intensive care and while dealing with the emotional part of that she had to deal with the family finances and mm -hmm. she didn't know where to start. So she created a workbook where it's like, you know, step one, password, step two, bank account, step three. So I, um, I've listened to her talk on a lot of podcasts and I've read articles. So I didn't actually do, I tried to do her workbook and it was overwhelming, but so my father died when I was 30 and I was his power of attorney and healthcare proxy. So I had experience dealing with it sort of, a, he was sick for six weeks. We sort of saw the writing on the wall. So we knew where we were going. And I use that to sort of inform what my husband and I have in place. So it's like a modified, get your shit together. But it's so true because she talks a lot about she should have been able to just focus on her husband and being there with him through his trauma and recovery. And instead she was guessing passwords. Yeah. It's, it's one of those, our friend that died, died very suddenly and his wife has, you know, they had two young boys and hopefully they had all of that stuff set up, but you know, I don't know. I didn't, I wasn't going to ask that's a, you know, but it just, yeah, you're dealing with the trauma of losing a person or a serious illness. I don't need to try to guess your password on, and I'm never going to guess it. I mean, it's probably not your birthday or my birthday or the dog. Like I, <laughs> yep. I, I, yeah, it's, it was, and I will say it was really helpful. The lawyer walked us through everything and, you know, like our house is in a trust technically. And I was like, why do we need that? And she's like, cause Virginia will take it and hold it in probate forever. If it's not in a trust. <laughs> uh, last rapid fire is, do you know how and why to make a pivot table? No, I don't know what a pivot table is. A pivot table takes lots of data in a spreadsheet and lets you look at it different ways. So for example, if you're running a summer camp and you have all of the food allergies and all of the medicine allergies and all of the bunk numbers, you can say how many kids in bunk six are allergic to dairy and it like it does it for you, right? It's sort of, it automates the, the function of sorting and grouping and adding. All right, we've made it to our final thoughts segment. <laughs> So anything you're loving right now in the realms of books, movies, shows, oh, you don't do movies or shows. Okay. Books, okay. podcasts, uh, anything, albums, what's, what's bringing you joy um, in a media sense during this time? Um, so I read a ton, like insane amounts. Last year I read 332 books, I think. Um, yeah, it's a lot. I, which if you break that down, that's almost one a day. Um, I, I read very, very fast. 
which is, yeah, it's insane. I know. So I read very, very slowly. Like, so I've already told you that I can't hold numbers or data in my brain and I read so slowly and I'm not able to spell and I have horrible handwriting, which I think if I were a kid now, someone would get me into some educational testing and we would find out that I had a visual processing issue or that I was on the dyslexic spectrum. But what it means is I read really slowly. And honestly, as a writer, that is such a huge liability because I'm always behind the curve with like what my friends are reading or what books are coming out. And so when I went into my debut year and I was like, people always ask like, what's your favorite book or what books are you excited about? Mm -hmm. And I was panicked and a, a writer friend of mine said, listen, this will save you. Read Publishers Weekly or read the New York Times bestseller list and just have a couple books that you're really excited to read then no one will expect you to have read them and you can be mm -hmm. current and up to date. And I was like, oh, thank you. I, uh, so I'm reading, I just literally started it before we got to chatting. It's called Women and Other Monsters Building a New Mythology by Jess Zimmerman. It's brand new. It just came out. And I'm super excited about that because that's, you know, clearly a very feminist kind of book that would pique my interest. Um, and then I, uh, I read, so I, I consume books in a couple different forms. I read novels and, and nonfiction and stuff either on my Kindle or on, you know, in print. I listen to audiobooks, And then before I go to bed, I always read poetry and I only read poetry in print. I don't read it on my phone. I don't read it on my Kindle as, you know, part of like unwinding, unplugging, and my way to come down at night and it ensures that I read at least one poem a day. Right. You know, even if, even if I go to bed late, unless I'm really tired, I will read at least one poem. And right now I am reading a book. Um, I just started it. It's called No Small Gift by Jennifer Franklin. It's a collection of poetry. It was her first book. It came out a couple of years ago, I think. Her new book is coming out this fall. And it is phenomenal. It is so beautiful and brutal that I'm really, really loving it. And I just did a reading with her uh, a few weeks ago and I, I was unfamiliar with her, but I was so in love with her reading that I was like, I need that book. And so that's my current, uh, I'm currently reading it. My favorite thing about reading about reading poetry is it really does put you in a completely different headspace. Like it just really just slows things down and focuses me on the language. And once a boyfriend bought me a book of poetry as a gift. And I said for years that if I accomplish nothing else in my life, I will be someone who someone bought poetry for. And it just made me feel like you only buy poetry for a certain kind of person. And for a while, that's how I identified. I've had people ask me, you know, like, do you have any interest in writing novels? And I'm like, no, because you have to plot. I have no idea. How do you plot? How do you write dialogue? How do you write a scene? I, I can write a poem and tell the whole story in less than a page or tell the part of the story that I want to tell. Right. I don't know. I I mean, I clearly I consume a lot of of novels and, and stuff and I'm obsessed with them but I have no no clue how people do it I'm astounded by it so good on you <laughs> it takes 10 years it's yeah it's, it's <laughs> no big deal <laughs> 
Um, and then your shout outs. We talked a little bit about your press and your book coming out. Where can people find you? What else do you want people to know about you? Um, the press is really definitely it's rioteinyourthroat.com. It's really very easy. Um, and our first book is coming out in a month. Melissa Fight Johnson is doing a bunch of readings. They're all virtual still. So like she's an amazing reader. Her poems. I literally sat with her manuscript and read it in about an hour because I could not put it down. And I literally was whispering to myself, I'm going to publish this. I'm going to publish this because it was so good and so powerful. And I'm so excited for it to come out and for the first book of this press to be in the world. So yeah. I really, I really just want people to support independent presses. I think they're so important and all of my writer friends, and I'm grateful to have a, a big group of writer friends. I don't think any of them are published with a like traditional big, big publisher. I think all of them, even my friends who've written novels and memoirs, they're all smaller independent presses and their books are beautiful and gorgeous and worth a read. And so I think, you know, people should support them, buy them from the press or your local bookshop. You can use Amazon for everything else. I certainly do. I just don't buy books from Amazon. So if you can do that, that's great. But I understand that there are li limit limits on people and, you know, also your library. I love my library. Libraries will buy books if you request them. Like support your local library. And request your local girl gang. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's, I mean, I, I have a great library here and they have a great poetry section. I'm so obsessed with it. So, and they're doing contactless pickup. So, yeah. So this might get cut out. We're going a little long, so I apologize, but I am really curious about this and I don't know if it'll make it into the podcast, but how do you know, especially in poetry, what's good? My fear with poetry is always, because I did, I wrote poetry. So I started out when I was a kid writing um, plays because I didn't know how to use quotation marks, but I knew how to use a colon. So I wrote plays. <laughs> and then, you know, high school, I went through the, the you know, the poetry phase. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. I found my way back into non, like, you know, creative, well, I found my way to creative nonfiction and fiction. But with poetry, I feel like like I will never offer to read my friends' poems for critiques because I don't know what's good. Like I just don't know. I know what I like, but I don't know what's good. Well, I think I think you hit it right in the head, right? It's super subjective. So I don't know how to qualify necessarily what's good. I can tell you what I like and what I think is good. Um, you know, unique language turns in a poem where it goes somewhere you weren't expecting. You know, a poem that sort of like punches you in the face is a good poem. One that has something that you don't see coming. All um, of your poems have punched me in the face, just <laughs> FYI. <laughs> Thank you. There you go. Um, you know, that's, th that's what I like. And, you know, poems that, that tell an experience without telling it straight on. We are on our last question. This is your time to ask me a question about anything you want, spreadsheet related or not. Uh, so it's not spreadsheet related, though you probably track it. What is your current writing project? Ooh, I'm in the middle of like six. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Wasted Pretty came out in April of 2019. So we're coming up on the two year anniversary of Wasted Pretty and the sequel Liminal Summer will come out in November. Ooh, super so, exciting. 
I, my final copy to my publisher was technically due tomorrow where I know my publisher well enough to know that they weren't going to look at it over a holiday weekend. So I wrote to him and said, Hey, how about Tuesday? And he was like, yeah, that's fine. So currently my husband is proofreading the draft and I will spend probably most of tomorrow inputting just typo changes. Mm-hmm. I am also currently working on both a memoir and another novel, which that was not the deal. The deal was I was supposed to turn in this manuscript and fully concentrate and commit to my memoir. And the day I turned in the first draft to my publisher, I started a new novel. I like couldn't help it. Like it, it just, I couldn't help it. So there's the memoir. There's the new novel, there's the final touches on the sequel. And I am currently mentoring a writer who is incarcerated and he is a pitching machine. So I have not pitched as many of my own essays in 2021, but we have had some huge wins for him, including the Washington Post at the end of 2020 and the Huff Post in 2021. So I've wow. been doing a lot of editing, sort of informal, like no one calls me an editor, but mm-hmm. he sends me his drafts. I go through and edit as I see necessary. And then I pitch on his behalf. And then I'm the person working with the editor at the publication because communication with incarcerated people is super tough. So I take mm-hmm. on that role. That's exciting. That's really cool. Yeah, it's so it's it's like exercising all of those muscles at once. I'm working on memoir. Mm-hmm. I'm working on my own fiction. I'm working on his essays. I'm exercising my pitching muscle, and then I'm getting ready to launch another book. So I my publisher is a you know a small independent press. They offer lots of really cool stuff like book design, cover design, is you know the ISPEN, the distribution, the Amazon, mm-hmm. but. Marketing is really on me, which is fine because I like that stuff and I'm an extrovert. So pretty soon I'll be shifting into, into that phase as well for liminal summer. Awesome. Oh my gosh. This has been lovely. I feel like we could talk about so much more, but this was lovely. Thank you so, so much. And, um, it's been great and I'm really excited for your new press. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening today. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review everywhere you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter at column underscore pod. Special thanks to Nora Grace and Josiah for our theme song, Sam Schindler for editing and production, Nick Peterson for additional music, and you for listening. Have a great day.